You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. There used to be a time in the history of our world where a woman would get pregnant and not know what she was having until she had the baby. <laughs> you wouldn't find out what you, she had if you weren't the woman pregnant. You wouldn't find out what she had until you went to the hospital brought them a meal, made a phone call, or you read it in the newspaper. Now, we live in a time of 3D sonograms, gender reveal parties, documented birth stories, and social media that just allows us to follow a young woman's pregnancy from the moment they find out till the moment they're holding the baby in their arms. The most notable gender reveal party in recent years was thrown in Dubai by a Syrian couple. They are YouTube influencers. They both have millions of followers separately together. I think they're over 10 million followers. And they paid $100,000 for their gender reveal party. <laughs> Just maybe a little, little much, you know, for a gender reveal party. Today we are coming to in our study of the book of Matthew to the greatest gender reveal party in all of all time and the most important birth in all of human history. What we're going to find in Matthew is that he documents for us the birth of Jesus Christ. And in this birth as he documents there's three things that I want you to take note of. The first is the scandal, the second is the supernatural, and the third is the Savior. So as we read through Matthew's account of Jesus' birth, the three things we're going to see is the scandal, the supernatural, and the Savior. Let me read through it, and I know Clint just did a few minutes ago, but I want to read through it now with the lens of the scandal, the supernatural, and the Savior. And I want you to see as we're even reading through it where you can see these ideas come leap off the page. It goes like this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother had when his mother Mary had betrothed been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, 
and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and she called his name Jesus. The first thing that I want you to see in this section of scripture is the scandal. And it begins in verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Now what is this word betrothed? Betrothed is an ancient Jewish marriage custom. In those days most marriages uh, were arranged by the parents with or without the children's approval. The two sets of parents would meet together and they draw up a formal marriage contract. When the contract was signed, the man and the woman at that moment were legally pledged to each other. This period of betrothal would last for up to a year and at the end of which they would formally be married in a public wedding ceremony. Now we would sometimes in our culture want to translate this to mean engagement but it was so much more than that and there were some major differences the first difference is that the pledge was considered as sacred as marriage itself so during that betrothal period or if you want to use the term engagement they would call each other husband and wife even though they didn't live together so they took it so seriously that when you got engaged, you, this was your husband and this was your wife, right? So it wasn't like, oh, this is my fiance, right? As we use that term today, it's like, no, this is my wife. This is my husband. That's how seriously they took it. And the only way to break the betrothal was through a legal divorce. So you would literally, if you wanted to break off an engagement, you would have to go and sign a legal document that said you were divorcing. If the husband were to die during the betrothal period, they would consider the woman to be a widow. That, that's how serious the betrothal was. The whole idea is that this one year of waiting was meant to be a time of testing commitment and faithfulness. And so this is the time that we find Mary and Joseph in. They're in this betrothal time. And it comes out before they came together that she, and that's a good PG way to say that, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. So what we know is maybe that Mary was about four months pregnant and Joseph didn't know that she was pregnant until she started showing, right? Then when he saw that she was showing, he's sort of like, mm, like I know we're comfortable with each other here, you know, kind of thing, but you're pregnant, what's going on with that? Which leads us to verse 19. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So what is Joseph doing here? What, why is he thinking through this divorce idea? Joseph was a just, we know this, and righteous man. That means he sought to obey God's law. So he couldn't have a fiance who was pregnant without doing some kind of action with that. To ignore it would be to break the law of God. So 
Joseph had a few options. Again, as a just, righteous man who wanted to please the Lord with his life, to please the Lord would be to follow the Mosaic law and to do what God had said in his word. And so he had a few choices in this. His first option would be to expose Mary publicly as unfaithful. In this case, she could potentially suffer stoning, according to Deuteronomy chapter 22, 23, through, and verse 23 and verse 24. So he could go take her before the court and say, she's committed adultery on me, or she's committed infidelity, and I am going to publicly divorce her, and they could stone it. Although, stone her. Although this was not common in the first century, it was still an option that he could have publicly shamed her basically and had her uh, done away with. The second option was to grant her a private divorce, in which case Joseph needed only to hand her a written certificate in the presence of two witnesses. This is found in Numbers chapter 5. So he could publicly make it a real public case and have her even to the place of being stoned. The second option for him was to quietly divorce her, just get a couple witnesses. I'm going to divorce you. That, that, that keeps her character in a way, although people would eventually find out, but he's trying to protect her. And then the third option would be to remain engaged and not divorce Mary. But in Joseph's mind, this would have been breaking the law of God. And so verse 19 says that he had decided of all those three options that the best option for him was number two. That he was going to divorce her quietly, get a couple of witnesses, and we'll just let it go and it'll be done. This is the scandal of the birth of Jesus. Is that Mary is pregnant before her and Joseph have come together. And so Joseph decides, here's because I, I love Jesus, I love God, not Jesus at that moment. Jesus is in Mary's womb, but he, I'm going to love God and I, I love Mary and so I want to honor the Lord. So the way I can honor the Lord best is I'll just quietly, publicly, or quietly divorce her and we'll move on with our lives. Then we come to verse 20. As Joseph considers this, it says, but as he considered these things. So maybe the thought is that Joseph... I'm going to sleep on it, right? I'm going to give it tonight. I'll sleep on it tomorrow. I'll take Mary down to the courts and we'll do this thing quietly. A couple witnesses, it'll be done and we can move on with our lives. So he's considering these things. Going to divorce her quietly, take option two. And then he sleeps and it says, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. Now, just a quick note here. Is Joseph the son of David? No, that, that the answer to that question is no. Remember from last week in our genealogy, let's look at it in verse 16. What does it say? And Jacob, the father of Joseph. So, so Jacob's actually the father of Joseph. So why when the angel comes to Joseph and calls him by name, why doesn't he say Joseph the son of Jacob? Why does he say Joseph the son of David? Well remember what is the theme of the book of Matthew? Jesus is king. What is he saying to David? He's saying to David, I want to remind you that you come from royal line of David. 
right? I'm trying to get you to see, and as we know Matthew is writing this to a Jewish audience who is questioning the messiahship of Jesus, that he is the anointed one, that he is the king. And so again, by even the angel's reference to Joseph, Joseph, not son of Jacob, Joseph, son of David, he is reminding his audience that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. That he is the fulfillment of 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 16. That through his line, the kingdom would be established forever. So again, I told you, almost every chapter, we're going to see this repeatedly, of this idea that Jesus is king. And again, even the angel is going along with this. Joseph, son of David... Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So the angel comes and says, listen, I know the third option seems like a bad option, but I want you to take the third option. I want you to stay married to Mary because this is a supernatural birth. Then in verse 24, we find that Joseph follows through with it. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. Verse 25, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son. So the birth of Jesus in many ways was a scandal. That Mary was pregnant before she was officially married. That Joseph would stay married to Mary even though she was pregnant before he, before she was, uh, before they were married. Yet God intervenes by appearing to Joseph and affirming his plan through the scandal. I want you to remember that Joseph doesn't know the end of the story. Sometimes it's easy for us to read these kind of things and be like, well, yeah, of course he would do what the angel of the Lord said to do, right? Like, doesn't he know he's the son of God and he's going to die on the cross for our sins and be buried and, and rise again? Joseph has no idea about that. He, he doesn't know the end of the story. In fact, many believe that Joseph died before Jesus was 30 because you never hear, I mean, these are the only times we hear about his dad. We, we don't know really much about the life of, of Joseph. So many believe that he died before Jesus even began his public ministry. So Joseph is simply trusting and obeying the Lord. It reminds us that we as his people need to trust the plan of God and obey his word even when it doesn't always make sense. I, I would bring this down to street level for us and I see in this room we have students and we have kids in this room I, I think of God's word that says children obey your parents in the Lord for this is right and honor your father and mother that it may go well with you and when I, I think about obeying your parents oftentimes students and kids it can seem like the things that your parents are asking you to do are ridiculous like, why would my mom and dad have this rule in our home or have this thing that we should do? And I think a lot of times, students and kids, it comes down to trusting God and obeying your parents, right? And obeying God. Because you obey your parents in the Lord. That's a key term. It is, I don't obey my parents because necessarily everything that they're asking me to do is perfectly the plan, but I obey them because I'm obeying the Lord. 
You show me a student that doesn't obey his parents, a kid that doesn't obey his parents, and I will show you a student and a kid who doesn't obey the Lord. And that's what we're seeing manifested in Joseph's life is that he's trusting that this is God's plan and he's obeying his word to take Mary to be his wife. And so students and kids, trust that God has given you the parents that you need. And obey the Lord by obeying your parents. Parents, you can pay me later for this thing. But as I was trying to think, how do we practically live this out? I think about my oldest brother, Mark, was a little bit of the rebel of our family. And as you talk to my brother now, and he's in his 50s now, um, but as you talk to, I love to say that about my brother, but uh, he's in his 50s now, but as you talk to him, he would say he hated the rules my parents had growing up. But as he, as a 50-year-old, he looks back now and says, I'm thankful for the rules my parents had because it probably saved me from a lot of heartache in my life. And he had to, in those moments when he was trying to push the rules, he forgot to trust and obey because God has a plan. And I want to encourage you students and kids with that today. So the scandal of Jesus' birth reminds us that we must trust the plan of God and obey his word even when it doesn't make sense. The second thing that we see in this section of scripture is not only the scandal of his birth, but we see that it was a supernatural birth. I want to remind you of an observation that we made in last week's message from the genealogy of Jesus. You'll, if you were here or you watched online, you'll remember it from verse 16. Remember it says, Jacob, the father of Joseph. And our, our next thought would be that it would say, and Joseph, the father of Jesus. But instead, the text says in verse 16, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. By not saying Joseph was the father of Jesus, Matthew is showing us that Mary is the only biological parent of Jesus. We see this particularly in the phrase, of whom. So remember, 40 times you have this phrase, the father of, the father of, the father of. On the 40th time, it goes from being in the active voice to being, or it goes from being in the, the masculine voice to being in the feminine voice, which is pointing us to Mary. So it goes the father of, the father of, to this idea that of whom is the same translation of, of the father of. And so it's going to the, the feminine form. And then it says, Jesus was born. This idea of was born is passive in voice, passive in nature, which means that the person is being acted upon or the person is receiving the action. So he is showing us here that something's different about Mary's and Joseph's and Jesus' birth, that, that something's going on there that's not natural, that they're receiving something, that Mary is receiving something. What is this that she is receiving? Well, this is where we come to the supernatural birth of Jesus. Look at chapter 1 and verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child. How? from the Holy Spirit, right? So Mary was acted upon from the Holy Spirit. 
look at verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is what? From the Holy Spirit. So it's really significant that in verse 16, that he goes from saying this all in the masculine, in the active voice, to in verse 16, he goes to the feminine voice and he goes to the passive because Mary is being acted upon from the Holy Spirit. Matthew is showing his readers that Jesus' birth is a supernatural birth. The Holy Spirit carried out the work of God and placed the seed of God into the womb of Mary. And from this womb would come a baby who was fully God and fully man. Because it was a supernatural birth. It was from the Holy Spirit. Then look at verse 22. And again, think about the audience that Matthew is writing to. He's writing to an audience that he's, in a way, giving an apologetic about Jesus' Messiahship. And so he's saying, you, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Who's this prophet? It's the prophet Isaiah. And he quotes Isaiah in verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah the prophet some 700 years earlier. This virgin born son of God, son of man through Mary was prophesied. And they said in Isaiah 7, 14, that she would be a virgin. Now, there's some debate, and just to be transparent, there's some debate around this word virgin. That if you do some research on it, you find people are skeptics of the supernatural birth of Christ, the virgin birth of Christ. They'll take this term virgin, vir, vir, not virgin, virgin. They'll take this word and they will interpret it as young woman. So they will say, if you look at verse 23, behold, the young woman shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And they'll take you to the Old Testament and, and this word can be translated a young woman or a woman of marriageable age. But as you read the Old Testament and you see the references to this word, typically it was used of a young woman of marriageable age who was a virgin. The majority of the time it is used in that way. And so I would tend to lead towards the majority of scripture and how it is interpreted that this is a woman of marriageable age who is a virgin. So why is the virgin birth of Jesus Christ such a big deal, right? Why can't we just translate it? Behold, the young woman shall conceive and it's all good, right? Why, like why, do, why, is the, why does it matter? I, I would remind you that our statement of faith Section four on God the Son, basically the Jesus, begins in this way. We believe that the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary as no other man was ever nor can be born of woman. 
That is our first statement in line with what we believe about Jesus. And the verses that we would use to prove that would be Matthew 1, 18 to 23 and Isaiah 7, 14. So why in our statement of faith is that the first thing that we want people to know about Jesus is that he was virgin born? Well, let me give you three reasons for that. The first reason that we believe the virgin birth is important is because the virgin birth is taught in scripture. Say that. Right. What is our final authority in life and practice? The Bible, right? So when we think about God, when we think about Jesus, it's not what we can make up. It's what does the Bible have to say? And so the Bible clearly teaches that Jesus was virgin born. How do we know that? Well, we looked at the passage, verse 20. It's from the Holy Spirit. Uh, verse 18, it's from the Holy Spirit. Even in verse 25, Matthew makes a point to say this, but Joseph knew her not until she had given birth to a son. So they didn't know each other before Jesus was born. So it wasn't like, well, we might as well just move the progress along quickly and we'll go ahead and move that year, short it, shorten it down and we'll just get married and so we can move on together and enjoy marriage life together. No, Matthew makes note, he didn't even know her until after Jesus was born. Then you go to Luke's account of Jesus' birth and you have this interaction with Mary where the angel appears to Mary and tells her what's going to go on and she's taken back by it in verse 34 Mary says to the angel how will this be since I am a virgin so even Mary in her response to the angel is like I'm, I'm so confused because I know how the nature works right I know how you get pregnant and so how am I going to have a baby even though I am a virgin so the Bible teaches it I think is why it's important for us to believe it but there's a couple other reasons the virgin birth also demonstrates that Jesus is truly human and divine if Jesus had not been born of a human we could not believe in his full humanity. So imagine if Jesus had just walked out of a cave and said, I'm the Christ, right? Well, we would say, oh, okay, maybe you are a God, but I don't think you're human. So the human side of Jesus would have been gone. Imagine, though, if his birth were like any other human birth through the union of a man and a woman, then we would question his full divinity, right? Then it would have been like, well, what separates you from every other baby boy that's been born? What makes you any different? Well, the virgin birth is necessary to secure that he is fully God through the Holy Spirit, and he is fully man through Mary. So if you take away the virgin birth, you take away the full humanity of God and you take away the full godness of God, the deity of God. So the virgin birth is taught in scripture. The virgin birth demonstrates Jesus is truly human and truly divine. And then the last is the virgin birth is essential because it shows Jesus did not inherit the depravity of man. 
Now we talk about this, that we're all born into sin. So when Adam and Eve chose to sin in the garden, every person since Adam and Eve is born into sin. Paul, or David makes this declaration in Psalms 51 when he says, in sin did my mother conceive me, right? And so all of us, when we were born from human parents, we were born into sin. But we know that Jesus didn't come from human parents coming together, right? But from the Holy Spirit, nat supernaturally placing the seed of God into the uh, uh, womb of Mary. And in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14, it says, or verse 15, for we do not have a high priest, this is talking about Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, fully human, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, but listen, yet without sin, fully God. So we understand that Jesus was born fully God and fully man. And that, that's important because he didn't inherit sin. I, I'm... I believe so strongly and I believe scripture teaches so strongly in the virgin birth that I think the rest of the gospel hangs on the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. Why do I say that? Because if I don't believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, then the dominoes of who Jesus is begin to fall. Right? If I don't believe that he's fully God and he's fully human, and that God did this through a supernatural way, then all of a sudden, that first domino of the virgin birth, then it's like, did he really live a sinless life? Or are we just, is this just people making stuff up about his life to try to have somebody, a hero that we could model our lives after? And if I believe then that he, he doesn't live a sinless life, then his death on the cross was just any other person in the first century that hang on, hung on a cross. His death wasn't unique then. It was just another death of another person who was a pr good prophet, a good man who things went south towards the end of his life. And then if I don't believe that, then the resurrection, well, I'm not really sure the resurrection happened because that's a supernatural thing too. People don't typically walk out of tombs, right? And I think it all comes back to what do I believe about the virgin birth? And once that domino begins to fall, I think it affects all the other parts of the gospel. The birth of Jesus is supernatural, which reminds us that this is not our doing, but God's doing. Say that. Our salvation doesn't come from us. It comes from God. Yes. That's good news. We didn't initiate the plan. God did. We messed up it. Genesis chapter two, chapter three. But God in his kindness shows us amazing grace through sending Jesus from the Holy Spirit into the womb of Mary. That changes everything. It's him initiating the plan for our salvation. The last piece of Jesus' birth that Matthew emphasizes is his name. When you think about somebody's name, you think more than just about the combination of letters, right? You think about what they do or who they are. As Ruth and I were trying to pick out names for our kids, we would typically not mention the names of the ones that were sort of in the running for our kids to my mom because 
My mom's been a kindergarten teacher, as you know, for a really long time. And so my mom has had every kid in her class with every name possible. And so we would only tell my mom names that we had chosen, like we were, they were in the running, but now that name's off. Because almost inevitably, every name that we would say to my mom, like we were thinking about going this way, with this name, my mom would be like, man, I'm so glad you didn't go with that name because I had a kid in my class in 1935, you know, 1935, and that kid was a hellraiser, you know, and I was like, okay, mom, I'm glad we didn't go with that name, but I mean, so for us to try to choose a name, because why? A name just wasn't a combination of words to my mom. Every time my mom would hear a name, she would think about who that kid was in her class and, and, and what he did. So the name of Jesus is really important because it tells us what he's going to do and it tells us who he is. So it's more than just, hey, let's name him Fred, right? And Fred's a great name. I love Fred in our church. He's a great guy. But it's more than just the combination of letters. There's, there's a purpose behind his name. And we see this repeatedly in the text. Look at verse 21. In verse 21 the angel of the Lord says to Joseph, she will bear a son. Again, greatest gender reveal party in all of creation right here. Not many people can pay for an angel to come and see them and tell them. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Now the name Jesus, just so you know, was popular in the first century. There was a lot of Jesuses running around, right? And the reason people named their ch children Jesus was because it was a symbol of hope for Yahweh's anticipated sending of salvation. Remember, what was the name of Jesus? What it, how would you uh, translate that? Yahweh saves. So as these Jewish people looked for the Messiah to come, they would name their children Jesus as a reminder to say, hope's coming, right? Like he's gonna come. But for them... The hope was that he would come and deliver them from Roman oppression. And so it's interesting that Matthew just doesn't say, call him Jesus, right? Because that would have been a good name and a typical name for the first century Jewish person. But he says, call him Jesus. And why? He tells us what his name means. What is Jesus going to do? He will save his people from their sins. So you've been waiting for a Messiah to come and he says, don't just name him Jesus, Yahweh saves like everybody else. Name him Jesus. Why? Because his name means that he's going to save his people, not from Roman oppression, but he's going to save his people from their sins. It reminds me of Psalms 130. Go there with me, Psalms chapter 130. And this, they would have known this psalm and been thinking about this psalm in light of the Messiah who would come. And in Psalms 130, verses 7 and 8, it says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, hope in Yahweh. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. In verse 8, and he... Yahweh will redeem Israel from his iniquities. This is a psalm that was sung in light of the Messiah who would come, that he would redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So Matthew says, remember that psalm, 
that we're not just calling him Jesus because everybody else calls him Jesus. We're calling him Jesus because he's going to come and he's going to save people from their sins. He's going to save you from the thing that separates you and I from God, which is our sins, our iniquities. In verse 23, we get another name of Jesus. The first name reveals what he does. The second name reveals who he is. The angel says, quoting Isaiah, or the Matthew quotes Isaiah the prophet and says, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This term Emmanuel speaks of the presence of God being among his people. Remember our study through the book of Exodus and one of the things in Exodus that they did is they put together a tent and remember they had the Holy of Holies and the cloud would come down and the cloud would come down among the people, right? That it would be that God's presence would be among the people in this tent. This is the idea of Emmanuel, God with us. It's why in John, that in John chapter one and verse 14, that as John is beginning his account of Jesus' life, that he says, and the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. What is that idea? That's the idea that he tabernacled among us, that he was God with us. So as we think of the Old Testament and God would come down and his presence was among the people. It wasn't distant on a mountain somewhere. It wasn't stretched out. It was right in the middle of the camp. His presence was there with the people. And so John says, as you think about the Old Testament, think now Jesus is the one who's tabernacling among us. He has come among us that we have seen his glory, the glory of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Jesus the one who saves us from our sins, reminds us of what he does. Emmanuel is who he is, God with us. And then you look at verse 25. But Joseph knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. He was obedient to call Jesus, Jesus. To do what the angel of the Lord had told him to do. I think of Matthew's or uh, Peter's words in Acts chapter four and verse 12, when he says this, and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. My question to you today is this, are you saved? Like Jesus is more than just a common name to our culture now. A name that we use as a cuss word when we're frustrated. A name that we, we joke about Jesus juking and oh, you're going to throw some Jesus into this, right? Jesus' name is more than that. Jesus' name is a name that is above every other name. See, I, I, in my family... I love every one of my kids' names. And when I think about Carson and Blake and Macy and Hudson, I love their names because I think of who they are and I think of what they do and what makes them them. 
But there's one name in our house that is above every other kid's name. And her name is my favorite name of all the names in our house. Why? Because of what she does and who she is. And as I've watched her life for lots and lots of years, there's one name that's separated from all my kids' names. And that's my wife, Ruth. And when I hear her name, my heart still skips a beat. Why? Because her name is above every other name in my home. And there's no name under heaven given amongst men by which you must be saved than the name of Jesus. And if your heart doesn't skip a beat when you hear the name Jesus, then maybe we've lost sight of what he saved us from. Maybe we've lost sight of who he is and what he's done. Because there's no other name like the name of Jesus. And if you're not saved today, he can save you. That's why he came. He came to rescue you from your sins. Matthew 20 and verse 28 says, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. What is that idea of ransom? He's come to purchase your freedom from sin, to pay your price for your sin so that you can be in right relationship with him. So that when you hear his name, it's not a cuss word in your mind. It's not a flippant word on your lips, but it is a name that has transformed your life. And today, if you've never been saved, today is the day of your salvation. I know it's not Christmas. And so it's odd to talk about the birth of Jesus at not a Christmas time. But maybe today you needed to hear the Christmas story again so that you could put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and realize that he was God with us and he did something incredible. He died and paid the price for your sins so that you could be right with him. Have you done that today? If you haven't, I invite you right where you're sitting to say yes to Jesus. It it is simple as saying, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. You don't, you don't have to remind me. I know I'm a sinner. I know that you came in a supernatural way. And I believe that you came to save me from my sins. I trust in you with my life and my future. In Jesus' name, amen. You pray that prayer. You believe it in your heart. And the Bible says you are saved. Father, thank you for the birth of Jesus. And that we as a church family could study it together in the month of September. And think about the scandal of your birth, how it was supernatural. And ultimately we can think about the fact that you you came to save us. You're the savior. You had a very specific name because you would save people from their sins. So Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in this room that has not put their faith and trust in you. I pray that today would be the day of their salvation. That for the first time, they would see your name to be the name that is above every other name. For those of us that believe that 
and know it and follow you. I pray that you would again awaken our heart to the wonder of your virgin birth, the wonder of Joseph's obedience to trust and obey your plan and the wonder of your name that you have saved us from our sins, that you have set us free from our sin and that you've secured our eternity with you. We are grateful. May we live with grateful hearts this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to antiochbbc.org. That's antiochbbc.org. God's best to you.